Welcome to the Avad Podcast. I'm Jasmine Lilly. When Erica Greenwald reached out to me, I was delighted to find the name of her wedding planning business, Folia Du, translates into Madness of Two. This tongue-in-cheek nod to love and its abstract, undefinable nature struck me as pretty spot-on, and I was all the more excited to speak with her about how and why we celebrate this shared delusion. During our conversation, we discussed how ethical purpose and political passion have manifested in her work as a wedding planner. The way I see it, if there's separation of church and state, you can get away, you can get rid of all of the other issues. Like then you can't complain about, you know, gay people being married. You can't limit women's rights to, um, to, to contraception. So, so I've sort of taken on um, a few issues that are my my key issues. You know, equality. Uh, separation of church and state and feminist issues. And those are like the three that I'm, I'm just like, okay, if I can make uh, a difference in those three and I can somehow do that through my business, um, I think that's really important to do. And I can be the support that um, isn't there for couples who are trying to do something a little bit different. She told me how she helps her clients evolve and adapt traditions to feed their modern needs and beliefs. I work with a lot of clients who do perceive themselves as, as feminist and they're a little uncomfortable with the whole patriarchal element of their father walking them down the aisle and giving them away. However, a lot of them also are wrestling with the fact that they still like love their dads and want their dad to be involved. And a lot of times what we'll do in that case is we'll find a way for the mom also to be involved or like we'll give them each something so it's more equal. So rather than ditching it entirely, we equal it out. And she told me about her unconventional entry into married life. With the knowledge that, well, we've already done the hard thing, so now we kind of were free. Like, it was so much less stressful because it wasn't like leading up to this whole big life-changing, you're going to be married at the end of this process, because we already were. All that and more on today's episode of the Avowed Podcast. I'd love to start with you telling me a little bit about your wedding planning business. Am I saying this right? Folia Du? So the the name Folia Du comes from, well, it's a French word, but it's a term, it's terminology from psychology. Um, and what it refers to is when two people, basically they're sharing a, like a psychosis or a madness. And, um, 
it, it's a little bit tongue in cheek because basically what I'm saying is that I'm helping people plan their weddings and that like, you know, love and marriage is some sort of shared madness. Yeah, I love that. On your website, um, I think that I wrote down the direct uh, definition was the sharing of delusional ideas by two people who are closely associated. I love it. I think it's brilliant because, yeah, it absolutely is. Love is in its own weird way is definitely a delusion <laughs> and like it's so um abstract and like how do we define it <laughs> exactly and you know I'm a very non-traditional person and I actually wasn't one of those people who grew up thinking that I was going to have this specific wedding or you know I didn't really even think about it that much in fact I even joked for a while I'm like yeah I'm never going to get married whatever and then I just sort of ended up in the industry by way of fashion design. And then, you know, I, I fell in love with the wedding industry and that led me to wedding planning. So I definitely am not your average, like, you know, princess sparkle wedding planner who wants to give you the perfect day. Like that is, I mean, yes, I want the day to be great and everything, but I, I'm definitely not the, the norm when it comes to wedding planners. Yeah, well, it, I mean, I think it's an accurate representation of you. And um, your website, I think, does a wonderful job of of saying up front who you are and what you believe. And I love, um, I mean, it seems like you've worked really hard to create an inclusive wedding planning mm -hmm. space for people. Yeah, um, that's been pretty much my number one priority since I launched the business. Um, I started thinking about this project uh, in 2015. And it took me about six months to, to really kind of flesh out what it was going to look like and what it was going to be because I did still have some con conflicting uh, feelings about the wedding industry and particularly where I where I live. I'm, I'm in North Carolina, which uh, if you've heard the news, it's not always the most welcoming environment, uh, particularly to gay and lesbian and transgender couples. And um, just the sort of non-traditional uh, weddings in general are not the norm here. They're not what's featured. Um, however, the Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill area where I live is actually very progressive and has a really vibrant uh, gay and lesbian and transgender community. Once I realized that there, there were these um, groups that weren't being targeted and like helped, I was like, you know what, I'm going to be that. And thankfully, I've actually met quite a few of uh, vendors that also share that uh, inclusive mindset. And we've kind of carved out a, a small group of people who are the go-tos for, um, for these different groups of people who are underrepresented and who aren't just doing like plantation weddings and big blonde updos and all that. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned that you had assembled like a local humanist wedding mm -hmm. vendor group. Yeah, yeah. I um so it started as a a small local, basically anyone who's like secular humanist, I was reaching out and kind of setting us all up as a private group just so that we could help each other out and help our couples out. Um and then that actually is turning into a larger project as well. Um, which I'm just starting, which is more of a secular wedding planning blog and vendor directory with like a little Facebook community to go with it too. For wedding planning, styling, and, and all that good stuff, um, you can find me at folliadeuxevents.com. And then for the, um, the blog regarding like secular and non-religious weddings, it's called Secularly Wed, and that's at secularlywed.com. And we also have a Facebook group for that. 
and are looking for vendors as well. So if you're a secular or humanist person who also works in the wedding industry, um, we have super cheap listings for for vendors who want to meet other like-minded couples. So that's the two things I'm working on right now. I love that. I think that's really important Yeah. to take a stance these days. Like, I just don't think that there's any more room for... Um, willful ignorance or pretending <laughs> like things are okay when they're not. I think we all need to yeah. step up and voice our support for people that deserve it and need it. Yeah, yeah. I um, I I've been feeling really pretty much since November. Like, okay, well, where am I supposed to be putting my attentions and my um my efforts? And you know, I am a really outspoken person. I'm one of those people who's going to be writing up manifestos on Facebook pages constantly about like politics and things, but I wanted to do more and be more involved. Um, but at the same time I had to reconcile that with the fact that I have to work full time and then I have these other side hustles. And so in some ways my, my wedding planning business is in itself becoming a form of rebellion, if you will. I love that because I (laughs) am coming out, I am being more, politically open with my business and um and particularly with the um the secular weddings as well i believe that if we can talk about some of these things and like particularly like these secular issues and atheist issues those in some way can kind of be my soapbox um because the way I see it, if there's separation of church and state, you can get away, you can get rid of all of the other issues. Like then you can't complain about, you know, gay people being married. You can't limit women's rights to, um, to, to contraception. So, so I've sort of taken on, um, a few issues that are my, my key issues, you know, equality, uh, separation of church and state and feminist issues. And those are like the three that I'm, I'm just like, okay, if I can make, a difference in those three. And I can somehow do that through my business. Um, I think that's really important to do. And I can be the support that um, isn't there for couples who are trying to do something a little bit different or, you know, who might be a same sex or transgender couple. We live in a really interesting time right now because the businesses, I think we're a very entrepreneurial generation. Um, partly out of necessity Mm because obviously the stock market crashed and there were no jobs and we had to create our own. Um, But also we were raised on a principle of passion and, um, and that your job didn't just need to make you money. It needed to make you happy. And with the political environment right now, I think there's so much more of a movement towards using your business, not just as a way to put food on the table, but also as a way to contribute to the cultural conversation and to feel like you're actually contributing something of value to our society and not just taking people's money for their weddings, you know? Right, right. When I first started this podcast, you know, it was in February, but I'd I'd been developing it and working on it for quite a while. And it was a really hard thing for me to put it out there in the first place because... Um, as I'm sure you've noticed, Facebook, <laughs> Facebook is very much political only now. Yeah.
people really only want to talk about politics. And so to put out a podcast about love and marriage at a time when all anyone could talk about was like, you know, the pipeline and people's rights being stripped and all of this stuff, which are all things that I care so deeply about. It it was I really struggled with like, is this yeah. an important thing that I'm talking about? Is this right? Is this something that is contributing to the conversation in a valuable way that I can stand behind? And what I found is that love and marriage and weddings are something that tie all of us together. And to me, it becomes an umbrella under which to talk about all of those issues in a way that we can yep. all connect to it. Because yeah, with a, such a huge divide in this country, like what can we come together over, <laughs> you know, and we can always come together over love and marriage and weddings. <laughs> I totally agree. And, and it's just, the other part of it too is like th- this is my artistic outlet, and as as an artist, I feel like I need to use my skills and my talents to you know take a stance and 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 make a statement. And and weddings are my art, and so that is sort of where I feel like there is a lot of crossover. And you know, I think calling attention to the the conversation about how kind of the cultural place that weddings take right now is also important because we're in a weird time where a lot of people our age are sort of saying, well, this doesn't, this big over the top traditional wedding doesn't represent me and my relationship. And, you know, we've got bigger, better things to be spending money on putting time and effort into. But at the same time, you know, like we deserve to celebrate our relationships just as much as the generation before us. So how do we create a wedding that is more uh, sustainable, that is maybe less expensive for people um, and more reflective of their relationships and their personal struggles and, and all that. That is something I think is so key. And right now is the time to be having those conversations rather than just continue with the status quo. Yeah. Absolutely. We've really reached a crux, I feel like, in our culture when it comes to weddings right now. And there's a lot of conversations that are happening. And it's really exciting to see. I feel like we're on the cusp of like a pretty substantial evolution in this industry. And it's really exciting to be a part of that. Yeah. And to stand up for something that you believe in and hopefully see the domino effect of those conversations unfold and see people really... I don't know, making more soulful decisions and thinking more critically about the checklist. And um, I love on your website, I think, you know, on your sidebar, it's like about you and what you do. And you say that you like creating events that aren't cookie cutter Pinterest replicas. And you believe thinking critically about traditions, um, that that's an important part of the wedding planning process and that weddings are fun, but building a solid marriage should be the number one priority. And I think that that's such an important perspective and stance to like put out there up front. And I'm curious Mm -hmm. how people have reacted to that, because I don't know that that's a typical um, part of the experience that one would get with a wedding planner. Yeah, I mean, it is definitely uh, interesting. And I will say that not all of the clients I've booked with have been quite as um, open to, you know, shaking things up and, and challenging the traditional norms. But at the same time, I have had couples book me strictly because of those statements right there. Um, basically, I the bulk of the people I'm, I'm hearing from lately um, 
have been people who are looking to do something that's a little bit non-traditional or they're trying to blend the traditions that maybe their parents would like, like to see with their own personal ideas for creating new traditions. And I do get a lot of people who are just trying to find a way that they can have a wedding that isn't um, overly influenced by the uh, sort of wedding industrial complex sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, they want a wedding planner who isn't going to push them towards the most expensive vendors. They're going to push them towards the people who are the best fit for them. Yeah. And that is, that's definitely something I've seen since I made that change to my website a couple months ago. Um, the inquiries I've had have all been people who are interested in, in challenging at least some aspect of the norm. Yeah. I'm curious how that plays out in real time, like do in the interview process and in helping people wedding plan, like what kind of traditions are you challenging people to think more critically about and what do those conversations look like? So usually in my first uh, inquiry with somebody, uh, generally I'll bring it up if we're just speaking like, and they haven't hired me yet, but usually I'll I'll bring it up a little bit more uh, in depth once we get into the process of planning. And usually what it looks like is we start with the basic traditions that um, are expected in the wedding industry, things like, you know, your father walking down the aisle or doing a cake cutting or doing um, bouquet toss, like wearing white, all these different things that are standard, you know, everybody expects to see it at a wedding. And if there's something that a couple right off the bat is like, I don't really feel comfortable with that, or we would like to try to mix it up a bit, we'll start there and we'll kind of look at what the original tradition means and what it means to them and how we can tweak it so that it's better representational of what they would like it to stand for. And like, for example, I, I work with a lot of clients who do perceive themselves as, as feminist and they're a little uncomfortable with the whole patriarchal element of their father walking them down the aisle and giving them away. However, a lot of them also are wrestling with the fact that they still like love their dads and want their dad to be involved. And a lot of times what we'll do in that case is we'll find a way for the mom also to be involved or like we'll give them each something so it's more equal. So rather than ditching it entirely, we equal it out. Um, so that's just one example um, I am finding a lot of couples, once they actually dig into what some of the other traditions um, really mean and where they came from, they'll just choose to to ditch them all together. I haven't had a single couple do a garter toss at all. So, like, yeah, that's just one's out. That's out. I think we can. Yeah. Please let us close the yeah. door on that tacky chapter in our yeah. wedding history. And then the other thing that I really do challenge is um the religious elements um obviously i get couples who are religious and i'm fine with that i i my background actually is i, I was raised christian and my father is a presbyterian pastor oh, wow. so um but he's like the super liberal progressive type so i had a okay relationship with christianity but came to the decision that i just didn't believe it and it didn't fit for me there were some things that i really disliked about um our experience in church um, and church as a um, organization but i never really had any complaints about you know like it's not like my parents pushed any kind of terrible religion on me that said i now being an atheist and i i actually believe it very strongly that 
couples should only include the religious elements if it's what they themselves truly believe. So rather than just having a, a Christian ceremony because that's just what's done or because that's what you're culturally were raised as, I like to say, why? You know, why are you including a Bible verse if you don't believe it? Why are you doing this specific ceremony wording if you don't believe it? And that has been something that's probably one of my biggest pushes is if you I think it's it's a matter of being respectful both to the your own beliefs but also to other people's beliefs. And we shouldn't trivialize someone's religious beliefs by just going through the motions and doing the ceremony that means nothing to us. So I work with a a secular officiant here in North Carolina. I work with her on probably 50% of my weddings right now and she writes the most gorgeous personalized ceremonies for couples. They vary depending on the couple's interests and their backgrounds, their lifestyles, all that. And, you know, that's something I think is really important. I've seen far too many of my friends walk down the aisle and get married in a ceremony that doesn't represent them at all. And in some cases was even kind of uncomfortable, like with the level of religion that was input into the ceremony without their consent. Yeah. That's interesting. And the more I think about ceremonies and receptions, the more I think of them as like two separate entities. And mm -hmm. for me, the reception and the party and the celebration of love is so important in its own totally unique way from the ceremony. Yes. Yeah. A lot of what I'm doing on this podcast and just in my own head is like questioning what marriage is like what it means to be married and to commit yourself to somebody um, and if it is the vow exchange if it is that moment or you know like because then there's common law marriage and there's people who yep. decide to stick together and they don't ever have that threshold that they cross and so to me it's sort of like celebration seems like a much more tangible thing for me to wrap my head around than marriage. Yeah. Does that make any yeah. sense? And no, so totally. like if we, ins if we're going to insist on continuing to have the ceremony piece of it, why does that need to be this um, copy paste situation? Like why do we right. need to keep going through these motions? Because it can be anything. I think right. that it doesn't need to be in front of anybody even. It could be something that happens privately mm -hmm. at a cabin on a weekend alone. Like I I just think that um, we've done a really wonderful job of overhauling and modernizing the wedding reception and it's yes. taken on a completely different look and feel and it's very, it's you know, if you compare it even to like 10 years ago, it's a very different animal than it was then. I understand value and tradition, but I think you're right. Like we follow suit. We we check these things off of the list and we do things the way that we were told that they were supposed to be done. But being that it's such an abstract concept to begin with, mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It feels like we're trying to create some concrete, tangible tradition that just like is totally unnecessary. Right. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And the, like the, the, the reasons why, you know, we have these sort of set parameters for the ceremonies there's there's the legal part and there's a, the religious part and as you know as far as the legal part basically most states only require you give some sort of statement of intent that you know both both parties are doing this willingly and that you're um that you're you know that you're coming together and you're going to make this commitment and that you're doing it a free will great okay 
that's basically the legal requirement. The religious stuff, that's something that you have to come to personally. If you have a religion, you can put together whatever makes the most sense with you and your officiant. But if you don't have religion, the world is your oyster. You can do whatever you want. There's no reason why you should be strictly following a script that doesn't match your values or that doesn't represent your beliefs. Um, when my husband and I got married, uh, my friend Kenna, who's the officiant I work with a lot, she did our wedding and created this amazing ceremony that talked about like how the, our rings were forged from you know, metals and stones that, you know, came from stardust and this just beautiful, uh, it was, it was incredible. I, I couldn't, I just, I wish I had a video of it because it's so beautiful. I do have it written down someplace in like a Google drive, but I think that that was more representational of us, um, than any kind of, you know, prefabbed script, um, uh, the other thing too is that you know people think that they have to follow some strict you know vows or anything, um, or that they have to completely write it themselves. Um, Kenna and I collaborated, and then then James and I like put, put together like our they weren't strictly like completely handwritten vows um, because we're both kind of bad at that sort of thing, but it was still personalized. And then we were able to do kind of like a repeat thing um, rather than having to get up there and like read something super personal. Because I also agree with you on the idea that like, it's a little weird doing all that in front of people. And we were definitely nervous about that. Um, and we actually had to do it twice because we eloped first and then also had a ceremony afterwards in front of all of our friends and family. So yeah, it, it's a little nerve wracking, but I guess the point is like, I want people to do what feels comfortable and makes the most sense for them as a couple. Yeah, I know. I think people often find themselves in really uncomfortable situations on their wedding day unnecessarily. Like, why are you making right. decisions that would put you in a space where you feel like you're on a stage that you are not like you don't want to be right. on or why right. like, just why would you I don't know. It seems like we at least I do, I try really hard in general to trim the fat in my life and put myself in situations where I'm like, these are my boundaries. These are my comfort levels. These are the people I want to surround myself with. This is the type of food that's good for me. This is the type of exercise regime that I need. You know, like yeah. we try really hard to craft these lives that feed our needs and don't mm -hmm. put us in spaces that, I mean, we want to challenge ourselves, but we also don't want to like put ourselves in spaces that are going to I don't know, adversely affect us. Right. And yet right. this on this day, this one day or weekend or whatever it's going to be where we're really declaring something incredibly special and personal and vulnerable. Like, why would you, why would you pollute that vulnerability by putting yourself in a situation that you would never otherwise put yourself in? Right, right. Doesn't, Absolutely. It doesn't I, make any damn it, sense. <laughs> it doesn't. And that's the stuff that I, I see with my couples all the time. They're, you know, they feel this pressure to do things a certain way because it's how it's always been done or it's how it's done on the blogs or their mom is telling them they want it this way. And if it doesn't feel good and it's going to cause you stress, that's going to taint the day. Like you're not going to have a good day or a good weekend. Like I, um, 
I just don't see the point of that. And I'm upfront with clients like, you know, what, why are you doing that? If it, if it doesn't feel right, don't do it. Yeah. Um, if you don't wear makeup, don't schedule an appointment to get a full face of makeup for your wedding exactly, day. Exactly. Exactly. Um, that's, you know, there's just so many things um, that if you don't, if it doesn't make sense for you, don't just do it because society is telling you that's what you should be doing. Yeah. I think a lot about wearing white on my wedding day and um, it's aspirational right like white wearing white in yeah. general feels very aspirational to me because what it says is yeah. that like I'm a together human being who doesn't spill mustard <laughs> all over myself which is such a lie <laughs> and, and I'd love to think that when I got married I would be able to wear white and not spill mustard or wine all over <laughs> myself but like real talk I definitely would like I was getting dressed last night to go to a friend's house for cocktails and I almost put on a white shirt and I was like no 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 who no. are are you kidding? Like, <laughs> this is going to get trashed. Wear the black shirt. You know you'll be fine. And then I'm like, why would I oh. risk something yep. like that? Especially the amount of money that we end up paying a lot of the times for our oh, wedding gosh, dresses. Yeah. And I just don't understand how people make it through that entire day without spilling all over themselves. I definitely thought for the whole day that we were you know, partying and drinking and eating delicious food. I thought all day I had done a great job. And then the next day when I was like looking over my dress, I was like, oh yeah, I definitely spilled a lot of champagne. But thankfully champagne is light colored. So it wasn't ruined. It's hilarious. (laughs) It's like a Jackson Pollock painting on your chest the next day. (laughs) Basically. (laughs) But it's funny too, because like I, um, I started, um, in weddings through, uh, wedding gowns. I went to fashion school and I, um, my very first foray into weddings was making my sister's wedding gown. And it's to this day, probably my favorite thing I've ever made. And I then kind of jumped into the world of custom made gowns kind of head first because I was just like, I love this so much and I want to do this for my career. And I kept wanting to get people who were you know, interested in doing like interesting colors or something. And the most I ever got anyone to agree to was a pink underskirt. And it was funny because when I always thought that when I would get to my own wedding, that I would do something super off the wall and, you know, crazy couture and and all that and maybe some fun colors. And then I was shocked to find I actually picked something kind of normal and I actually got it at David's Bridal because the stress of trying to make my own um, and doing it affordably, but also like have it be to my standards. I just was too stressed about it. And then I ended up with something that was kind of normal, but I felt very comfortable in it. Like I felt like it really embodied like who I was and my values for the day. And the main number one thing was I wanted to be able to dance and party. And so I got a T-length dress that was comfortable, that I didn't have to wear a shaper with, that I, I wore just a normal bra. Like I was so comfortable all day and I just partied for 12 hours straight and it was fantastic. Like it was so fun. <laughs> I think it'll be really hard for me not to wear white. And I don't know why. Like I I think it's really interesting the dormant traditions that like lay yes. inside of us that you don't know that you care to observe until you're at that doorstep and you're like, Oh, that's yeah, interesting. Yeah. I didn't realize you were uh-huh. in there. 
Yep. But it's hard. I totally feel that. Yeah, it's hard to conceptualize (laughs) how you're going to make those decisions until you're in that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's one of the things I really like to examine and look look at in both my own choices, but also like with my clients. Like, you know, if you can't explain why you want something and it's just something that's subliminally been etched on your brain, then we need to talk, we need to talk about it. Like what's, what's going on here. So, uh, that, that was one, like wearing white was definitely an odd one for me. Like I didn't think that I was going to be about that. And then it was the only thing I considered when I actually got to the, the point of picking a dress. Um, I didn't, I tried on a kind of gray dress and that felt, I don't know, it was beautiful, but it just didn't feel like my wedding dress. And is that because it wasn't white? Probably. And so it's, it's interesting. I did accessorize with lots of bright colors though. So it was okay. (laughs) So yeah. Tell me about your wedding. You mentioned in your email that you had originally eloped because Mm -hmm. you were buying a house together and you were able to get a lower interest rate. Yep. Yeah. So we're definitely one of those couples who the, the choice to get married was a, um, a tactical decision. Um, not necessarily not, not to say that that makes our relationship like less loving or, you know, anything like that. But um, we had been together for a bit and we were already planning on getting a house. And when we started looking, we found out that, yeah, like I, we would be able to get a considerably better rate by being married. And we th- bitched about how that was sort of arbitrary and stupid and not with the times agreed (laughs) like it's so stupid it's so so stupid but at the same time we're like well we're buying a house together that's a 30-year commitment that's probably harder to get out of than a marriage and (laughs) and you know we we had definitely talked about getting married but you know it was just sort of a we'll we'll get there when we get there kind of thing and when we decided you know what let's do it. Let's just go for it. And literally a week later, we got married. Um, we had a couple of our friends. It was probably about 20 people on total who came out to a food truck rodeo in downtown Durham. And we got married with, with the same officiant that I work with. She came out and she did an elopement ceremony for us. And we just spent the day hanging out and eating delicious food and drinking beers. Um, we then still knew we wanted to have a, a wedding because um, I'm not from North Carolina originally and most of my friends and family are not here. So I knew that I wanted to be able to have my family there and all of my friends from out of town. And so we planned the actual wedding for about six months later and planned everything uh, on just about $5,000 for a a wedding six months out, which was really cool. And I'm like really pleased with everything we did because we threw our, our actual wedding at a music hall. So it wasn't like the full expensive, um, wedding venue pricing. They also had in-house catering that was to die for and really affordable. And so right there we had just so much savings because we were doing something non-traditional and um most of our uh, friends and family they came in it was still a fairly small wedding by standards in the south because we only had about 65 people and most of the weddings here are 120 plus 
Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, we we did sort of a, a rehash of our ceremony again for the the bigger crowd, and we partied all day. And then we had a after party at some local bars that was oh, it's so fun. We just you know hung out all night at three thirty in the morning. We were doing a walk of shame back to our hotel with me in like flip-flops and my wedding dress and still wearing my flower crown. It was really incredible. But I think the, awesome. the best part of our wedding was this was the first time that my husband was meeting many of my friends from high school and from college and um, my previous life as a, a cosplayer and convention goer. <laughs> so, you know, these are all people who live around the country and, and, never are able to get together. And a lot of us are very busy with work and um, other obligations. So to have everybody together in one place and for him to get to meet them on such a happy day was amazing. And it was great to really feel that love of my friends and my family and just everybody being together on one day. And we did actually do kind of a weekend thing. We had like a barbecue the day before and then brunch the next day. But for the most part, we squeezed every second of life out of our wedding day that we could. Um, it was so wonderful. (laughs) What I often think of this as is like the best of both worlds scenario, the elopement and then the wedding later on. And I'm really curious being that marriage is this intangible threshold mm-hmm. that we cross into because you were obviously together. You were committed. You're buying yeah. a house together. Um, you know, if we think about marriage in terms of commitment, then like you already were. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, on the other side of both of these occasions, you were like a different kind of married both times. Yes. Yeah. And I'm really curious how those experiences felt different for you. So after our elopement, it was actually funny because we didn't really make it publicly known. So only the people in our immediate family and then the few local friends who were actually at the elopement, they were the only ones who knew we had actually gotten married. So we didn't even have rings yet. We didn't have like a traditional proposal or any of that. So at first it almost didn't feel any different at all, except for that we had this like super secret little thing that we between us and our friends and then we did something kind of horrible we staged a a proposal so that we could then <laughs> announce it so when my engagement ring got here we like made it seem like oh yeah he proposed it, really we were already married and I feel horrible admitting that we did tell all of our friends like at the actual wedding like we've we've been married for months but um that's hilarious yeah we didn't have like a traditional proposal or anything um we made this decision together and then we picked a ring together and so so that was like the few months where we were planning the wedding did I think feel more like a traditional engagement period but with the knowledge that well we've already done the hard thing so now we kind of were free like it was so much less stressful because it wasn't like leading up to this whole big life changing you're going to be married at the end of this process because we already were and the reality is there isn't really anything that much different um between being in a good committed relationship and being married um uh, it, there really isn't. I mean, you still are the same people at the on the other side. 
Um, that said, I think if anything, the only change I've seen since we were, you know, married publicly in front of all of our friends and family, there, you know, there definitely is a slight difference in how other people approach you as a couple. Um, but, and I don't want it to sound like I'm saying that this is like a, a, a bad thing or not, but you know, like we're, we're kind of non-traditional. We're not going to be having kids. Um, we, you know, I don't, I didn't legally change my name. I sort of appended his name to mine and just, uh, you know, I'm using it socially, but I'm not changing my name. And so some of the things that have happened since then have been, you know, mostly just comments from other people being like, Oh, well, like, when are you going to have kids? Or, you know, why didn't you change your name? And I'm like, that's just not who we are. And at the end of the day, we're still the same couple we were before that. So I think that's just the only difference that we've really seen. Because yeah, it's interesting that this like big life decision societally comes hand in hand with these other big life decisions, even though they're totally separate. Yeah, yeah. And that people feel comfortable asking, when are you having children? Like, maybe we're not. Right. Yeah. Oh, I'm very, very definitely not. And that's something that we knew right from the beginning of our relationship. Like this, I mean, I had, I've had previous relationships where I think the main reason we didn't work out was because I refused to have children and, you know, that other person wanted children. So when I started dating James, like this was an upfront, like neither one of us wants children. Okay, cool. Let's, let's keep going with this. And, um, it's funny cause my sister actually just had a baby a week and a half ago and my parents are even in town um, right now. And, you know, we're hanging out with the new baby and all that. But, uh, and like, I, you know, he's very cute and all that, but I'm just like, yeah, no this isn't changing my mind. This is not a life for me. And I will be a cool, crazy aunt. And that's, that's <laughs> fine. That's, yeah, that's my thing. Totally fine. <laughs> Did the wedding, the public one with, uh, you know, the, the full on ceremony and the vow exchange and, um, the white dress and the flower crown. Yeah. Did that satiate some need or desire in you that the elopement didn't like, did it scratch an itch that the elopement didn't? You know, I think if I want to say yes, but at the same time, I want to say kind of like append this, you could do that with an elopement. I don't mm-hmm. think it had to necessarily be in front of so many people. But for me, I'm a very social person. I am like extremely extroverted and my friends matter a lot to me. So I think the ceremony element could have easily been just we're done with this where, you know, we did it to together privately. It didn't need to be in front of everybody. However, the party, like you were saying before, it was very important. And so coming away from that, I'd say if, you know, you're somebody who is more introverted, you can easily put together a beautifully styled elopement and do a very personalized ceremony if that's what you need. If, like, you don't want to be doing this super publicly, um, but if you are more outgoing and extroverted and, you you know, your friend group really matters a lot to you, you might still feel like, no, I need to have the party. And that's, I mean, I, I definitely think it's more about, like, the personalities of the couple. Because it sounds like the elopement was pretty spur of the moment and yes. not... 
<laughs> but even that, casual. I mean, I still like I went out, I bought accessories, I made my own flowers, I wore a white sparkly cocktail dress. Like, so even though it was spur of the moment, I still gave it some style because that mattered to me. So the interesting thing through this whole process is that James is much more introverted and um, really doesn't care about any of this stuff. Um I care about it because I've been like obsessed with weddings for the last eight years. Um, Oh gosh, like nine years now. Um, And so there's part of it for me that was an expression of my, um, my own like artistic sensibilities and my aesthetic. And I wanted a chance to make things and, and show things off. Like, I mean, I'm a very extrovert person. I think James would have been happy with the elopement and just calling it, calling it a day. But at the same time, like he still had a really great time with our wedding. So yeah, if I eloped, I would, I would not be able to just like go to the courthouse in some slacks and like do the damn thing and get it over with. Well, yeah, (laughs) I wouldn't be able, I'm just too much of a I don't know, show pony or something. You know what I mean? Like I am a creative person and I love, Mm -hmm. um, I love just the right amount of pomp and circumstance. And I love when there's um, intention put into detail and when things are beautiful, I love beautiful things. I mean, I'm an artist. Like what can I say? It would be impossible for me to have any kind of a wedding or celebration, no matter the size that didn't, that wasn't beautiful. Yeah. Well, it's it's like what you were saying in one of the other episodes, how like you're always somebody who's thrown a bunch of really crazy theme parties, like just for any old circumstance. I'm the same. Like I have for the last few years thrown the most ridiculous theme parties for my birthday. This was my outlet before I got into wedding planning. And it was because I enjoyed expressing myself in that way and I liked being able to bring people together and bring them together for joyous, fun occasions. So for me to like think about the idea of not doing that for my wedding, I was just like, nope, we're having a wedding. It doesn't have to be huge and it certainly doesn't have to be expensive. We couldn't afford anything. I mean, as it was, we could barely afford the $5,000 we spent. But that's, I think, something I want to impart to the people I work with now, too. I have people who look at my wedding and they're like, there's no way that costs $5,000. I was like, absolutely it did because we were savvy about it and didn't waste any money on things that didn't matter. You can throw an awesome, cool wedding for very little money if you're creative about it and if you really evaluate it. Where did that money go? Like, What were the priorities and what what was like just not even something that you cared to discuss? So most everything we did, um, we would think, okay, so a cool venue was was important. And um, great food was important. And we killed two burns with one stone by getting this place Motorco, which is, um, it's a bar and and music venue. So their rental fees were only like $1,000. And then the whole all the catering we did was only about $1,300. So those were the two biggest um, things we spent money on. We also chose to only do a, a signature beer. Uh, technically, it was actually two beers. And we bought essentially what was about a third of a keg, I believe, of each beer. Um, and those were the two beers we paid for. And that was it. And when they ran out, I mean, we only had 65 people. So it was it was enough for people to have two beers essentially. However, like there's a full bar at our venue. So 
we said, okay, if you order these beers, those are, for, those are covered. Everything else you can just, you know, buy whatever you want. And people are adults and they're not going to kill you for having a cash bar at your wedding. Just make sure you notify them in advance that that's going to be the case. Um, and then we didn't do a bridal party. Um, I had my sister and, um, as like a maid of honor. And then James had one of his best friends as best man. We bought a $13 dress on the internet for my sister to wear. (laughs) And it was very pretty. Um, and then all of the decorations and things were fairly minimal, but I made them all myself with my sister's help. So we really did just find ways that we could save money, um, you know, doing DIY decorations is a major time investment and also can sometimes be expensive if you're trying to replicate some big over the top thing. So the trick is to simplify and kind of condense your vision into a few key pieces. So like we did small centerpieces and a really cool backdrop and then a couple other just colorful decor elements that we'd sprinkle around the room. And, um, those were the main things um, that we spent money on. We didn't have a DJ. We just did um, a Spotify playlist. And then there was a sound guy that we could essentially rent his services for the afternoon. So he basically just ran the sound system and gave us all the equipment. But we didn't have to spend as much as we would on a normal DJ. And I will say that the one place we did get kind of a deal was on our photography. Um, and I definitely pulled the whole, I'm a wedding planner card. I'm going to work with you again in the future if you help me out here. Um, (laughs) so our photography was a little less than normal. Um, but I, you know, one thing I, I think that people need to understand about wedding photography is that it is so important that you figure out where, what your priority level is for it. And if it's a high priority plan on spending a bunch of money on it. Um, I, really value wedding photography and I have a lot of friends who are wedding photographers and I sometimes feel embarrassed about how little I actually paid for my wedding photography because I'm like constantly their champion. Um, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, I've also sent, um, my photographer several referrals and, you know, he's gotten definitely a fair number of full paying gigs. So yeah, well, value comes in many forms, right? Exactly. And, you know, things like um, creating an accessory to to dress up a cheaper wedding gown. I mean, my, my, my wedding gown was really, really quite pretty and it didn't need a whole lot. But I did make um, a belt that I could kind of spruce it up a bit. And I made all of my like flower crowns and things. So that was you know, you can find ways of not spending hundreds of dollars on an accessory. Like I think that the wedding accessories market is a little bit out of hand um, with what they It is crazy to me because I see wedding accessories at bridal boutiques and stuff and they're just like Swarovski crystals. Yeah. And, you know, like applique. Yeah. Um, applique crowns and belts and stuff. And it's not like they're diamonds and the prices really floor me. Yes. I'm like, you're charging how much for some Swarovski crystals sewed onto an applique? Exactly. What? The wedding dress industry is is a one I will defend to the death because those gowns take so much time and effort and 
if you see a high price on a gown, that's indicative of the person who made it is being paid well and being paid properly. Um, lower priced gowns are like these ones that you can buy online now. Uh, it usually means like if it looks like it's a good deal, it probably means someone's not making enough money for their work. Does that also apply to like, because I'm thinking of like say yes to the dress and all of the gowns on mm -hmm. there, which seem, I mean, from an outsider's perspective, exorbitantly priced. Yeah. I mean, and like in any element of the fashion industry, you will definitely get some uh, name um sort of like an upcharge for the brand name uh, with the case mm -hmm. of like, like Vera Wang is a good example. You know, they're beautiful gowns at, you know, really splendid workmanship, but at the same time they will, there's a little bit of a premium for the name. Um, mm -hmm. But if you were to like work with um, some of these newer wedding gown designers who are really making incredible designs and aren't necessarily as well known by name, those gowns, like you can kind of get, they're, they're almost like a steal compared to anything from like bigger names. Um, totally. Like one of my favorites right now is Leanne Marshall. And like, I've been oh, following yeah. her since she was on Project Run Runway almost 10 years ago. And oh my God, you're right. She was, yes, I'm just yeah. putting that together. Mm -hmm. And Whoa. I've just been watching her grow her business and the, her gowns are so pretty, but they're also unique and they, they are targeting a, a specific style of of bride and i think that's really cool and so i my what i recommend is if people really want to know that they're getting a good quality gown but also that their designer and that the people making their gowns you know go to some of these smaller brands another really good one is celia grace they are doing um like sustainably made and they're, they have fair trade uh, workers. So they aren't made in the U S but they are made with people like you can read the bios of the people who design and make the gowns. It's very cool. cool. My favorite right now is Odalyn the ceremony. Oh, I've not seen them. Oh my God. They're stunning. I'm going to have to look about it. Yeah. Her work is incredible. Yeah. I love the direction that bridal gowns have taken lately. I think they're really I don't know, unique. And um, I like that there's more of a bohemian edge these days yeah. because regardless of whether or not something's at, like actually, you know, quote unquote, bohemian, yeah. <laughs> I think what bohemian means to me is different yeah. it's outside of the box. Yeah. It's like, it doesn't need to be hippie. There doesn't need to be tassels and fringe on it. But, um, but I like that we're going in this direction of more, I don't know. It's like, it's not always a ball gown. It's not always a column. Like people right. are going kind of nuts with it. And I, I'm into it. Yeah, I totally am too. It, it, it's funny because when I was first getting started in um, designing wedding gowns, I had several collections. I would go to bridal shows with my portfolio. And essentially, the idea behind my business originally was that people would be able to look through my sketches and pick one. And it would be made one time and it would be made for them. Uh, and I had several collections that I did these sketches of that were more modern and a little quirky and no one picked them. And I was so sad. Um, most of the ones I actually ended up making were still fairly traditional. And that was part of why I got out of it because I wasn't making the gowns I really wanted to make. 
a few years passed and that started hitting the markets. And I was like, ah, oh, if only I was still in New York at this time with lots you of money. You were ahead of your time. <laughs> I was. <laughs> but the other problem was, you know, starting a wedding gown business is a very expensive um, oh, business I'm sure. to start. You know, it's it was very yeah, difficult. That's high <laughs> overhead. Yeah, no, I hear you fully with the dress debacle because I've experienced a lot of that in my own business with whipped, um, with baking wedding cakes, it's been, um, a constant source of frustration. And a big part of why I started this podcast is because like, I'm constantly trying to create dialogue around how to get the most out of the people that you're working with. Yeah. And in my opinion, the, the way to get the most is to play to their strengths. Yep. Why would you hire a couture wedding dress designer yeah, yeah. to design a simple, column gown that you could get off of a rack. I mean, that was my experience. I lived that. And one of the things that was frustrating to me was I would always put the the best workmanship I could into every project, yep. even sometimes when it meant that I wasn't really being compensated for that. And that was something I realized, like, I got to get out of this, the the actual like maker side of the business because I was a terrible business person as a maker. <laughs> I w- I'm yeah, a great business yeah. person as a service, but not as a maker business. Yeah, I totally hear that. It's like, you know, I'm not good at putting out a product that doesn't have my stamp of approval on it. Like I'm not yes. good at just pumping out something to get it done and put it on the table so that I can get my paycheck and go home. Exactly. I <laughs> don't know how to divorce my emotional attachment to the work that I make. Mm -hmm. So it became more and more critical for me to create a filter system up front so that the work that I was creating was something I could stand behind so that when I inevitably became emotionally invested in what I was doing, I could at least be like, well, it's something I care about. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And that was ultimately why I left the wedding gown business, because I just was stressing out so much about things that I had not much control over. And, you know, I wasn't getting the type of clients that I had initially hoped. And um, I didn't have the financial ability to just make what I wanted to make. For the few years that I wasn't actively working in the wedding industry, I was slowly getting more interested in the planning and blogging side and also just styling in general. So that when I came to 2015 and I've moved to a new area and I'm not liking the job I'm doing, it became the clear path. It felt like the perfect combination of all of my interests, all of my passions and my talents. It was a kind of roundabout way to get there, but I'm glad that I did eventually find my way to it. (laughs) You know, I never saw myself in this industry, but now that I am in it and now that I'm, you know, obviously putting a significant amount of energy into thinking critically about it and trying to understand what appeals to me and what draws me to it, it makes a lot of sense because I have always been really fascinated with psychology. I'm super interested in um, ritual and ceremony and human interaction and celebration and just sort of the touchstones that we create in our lives, just sort of like these tangible manifestations of emotional exploration. And Mm -hmm. that's really what a wedding is at the end of the day. It's like this physical expression of something that we don't even know how to put into words, that we have spent our entire human existence writing poetry about and books and trying to figure out how to explain what love is. Because 
you know, all the literature and poetry aside, we still don't really know what it is. It's like this crazy abstract concept. And yet we all share in it and we all experience it and we all celebrate it. And it's like kind of this wonderfully beautiful human mystery that we just sort of take at face value. I feel very much the same way about it. And that's why I feel like wedding photos matter so much. Um, Like when I go back and I look at the photos from, from James and I's wedding, like we... I mean, I can I remember it so vividly and I feel just so joyous looking at it because the, all of the happiness of that day, it just exudes out of those pictures. Like you can feel it still. So sometimes when you might be having a bad day or something, you can go back to that and say, that was so cool. And that's like what our love and our friendship and, and all of our family is about right there in that day. And, and so I think that's so, so important. And I also think it's important to keep some sort of element from your wedding. Like, you know, I, I still have my dress, but I don't really look at that every day, but I do have my, my flower crown and like, I'm going to keep that forever because I made it out of silk flowers so that it would last so I could have it forever. And I think those sorts of things are, are really important to have. Yeah. I think there's a lot of value in that. I'm trying to figure out how to articulate this. Um, because like I was saying earlier about like, what is marriage, right? Like what is this vow exchange? Like, what is it about that threshold that changes our relationship and changes who we are? Maybe it's just this deliberate exchange of energy. Maybe it's just setting this space aside and, and treating it with intention. And I think there's something so valuable in that because you can be with somebody like I have been with Patrick for, you know, 10 years and um and we don't often make time for something like that, you know? Like and I I don't know how I would implement this and I feel like it would be really uncomfortable in the onset, but I almost feel like it would be really really valuable to have some kind of a deliberate exchange of energy like that, like a vow exchange more or less. Um even if we didn't get married, like but on a yearly basis or something, you know what I mean? Like to take time out of your life to tell somebody in like a really, in a really intentional way, what they mean to you, because we just sort of gloss over that in life. And, and it's such an incredibly special thing that we have created a celebration that is so commonplace and so expected that people will continue to make space for that, even if it's not even if it's not something they've dreamed of their entire lives. I totally agree with you, actually. we um, It was funny. One of the things that you kind of, that goes through your head when you do an elopement and then another wedding six months later is that y- there is that feeling of, wow, we should just keep doing this every six months. Like you want <laughs> to do it every six months because it does feel really good like to, to make those affirmations to each other. And uh, I mean, I, I'm all about the idea of doing like vow renewals and things. I like, I really hope that we do something similar, like soon, like, I don't know if we could pull it off every year, but you know, do something special, you know, maybe a yearly basis that allows you to, to have that intentional, like, yes, like we're still doing this because we still choose each other. And that's a big thing for me. Um, coming back to your relationship and, and choosing it again and again and again. And it's not just something you're stuck with. It's not something that you feel obligated to. It's something that you're choosing. If anything, this, the wedding ceremony and the vows, they are that choice. 
that's like how you're saying to, you know, to your, to your significant other, but also to your family, like I'm doing this like for him, for her, we're making this choice and we're going to keep making this choice. And I, I don't think there needs to be a legal thing. I mean, for us, it was a matter of, we got our house for cheaper and Hey, we got a huge tax refund this year. And there's little things like that that are like, okay, you know, the legal stuff makes it worth it. But if you've got like in your state, you have like a common law set up, then by all means do what you got to do. You don't have to be legally married. Some of the, um, more run of the mill things like being able to visit your spouse in the hospital or something, or, like issues like power of attorney can get messy if you're not legally married. So I, you know, from my perspective, I think people just need to look at what the actual laws in their state or place they live um, actually are, and then let that inform the decision of whether they need to be legally married or not. Yeah, it's like, let's stop lumping the romantic exchange of energy, the vows, you know, that moment with the legal thing, because I think they're two completely separate issues. Totally separate. Yep. And they're each valuable in their own way. I mean, yeah, if the legal, if the legally binding piece of it is going to benefit you in a tangible way, then do it. But if it's just to go through the motion of doing it, like maybe, maybe rethink it. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. And that's, that's sort of like what I want people to really think about is that like do the research, don't just go with the flow. And, and that comes that, that would applies to the, the legal stuff, the religious stuff, the cultural stuff, all the traditions, do your research and figure out what works. And if it doesn't work for you and your partner, don't do it. Like you don't have to. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. I think that's a wonderful place to end the podcast. Yeah, (laughs) just don't don't do do it. Thank you again for taking time out of your lives to think critically about how we celebrate in the shared madness that is love. I'm sorry to say I do not have a blog post waiting for you at my website just yet, as I have been swamped with work and unable to write one. I promise I will be setting aside some time in the next week to write something up. In the meantime, please go check out Erica's website, foliadoevents.com, and her blog at secularlywed.com. Ta-ta for now!